0: All In. That's the theme of a series that we're involved in these days. And uh, we invite you to open your Bible to Matthew chapter 11. That's where we are. If you have a Bible or a device that you can read it on, that's good. If you don't, we have a Bible for you because there's some words here that I want to make sure you see and even maybe underline or circle so that you have them and remember them in this chapter so if you need a Bible, raise your hand and I'll let these guys put one in your hand, okay? Anybody need a Bible over here, no, over here? There's one back there. Anybody else? Right here? Right here. Second row. There you go. Anybody else? If you got this Bible, it's page uh, 476. So you can find Matthew chapter 11. Um, When we talk about being all in, we want to talk about how to get there. And today's message is really the first step on how to be all in. And it is the continuing step so that it's not just something that happens, but it's something that continues to happen. So that's what Matthew chapter 11 is all about. I have subtitled this, preach it until they get it. You heard of that phrase? That's comes from seminary. Your, uh, your classes on preaching in seminary invariably end up in a discussion. Why do singers get to sing the same song over and over again? But if preachers preach the same sermon, they get criticized. And, of course, in seminary, you got all these preachers, so they say, well, I think, and it's pretty unanimous, that they ought to be able to preach it until they get it. Now, um, there was a guy that did that. His name is Jonathan Edwards. He had a sermon that he worked on. He was 38 years old. I don't know whether this picture was taken when he was 38, but... He had a sermon he worked on that he called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And he preached that sermon. Uh, When he preached, he, he was rather short, so he stood behind a pulpit and he read word for word. So you really saw just the top of his head, and he preached that sermon. Nada, zippo, nothing. People were ready to leave. They were... Well, not checking their watches, of course, in 1700s, but probably thinking about the games that were on in the afternoon (laughs) or making their shopping list or whatever, but they didn't get it. The Lord said to Jonathan Edwards, preach it again. Back then, you didn't preach it till they got it. That was against the rules. But on July 8, 1741, Jonathan Edwards preached that sermon again. This time the Holy Spirit rained on it. They say people were hanging on to the pew in front of them because they were sure they were going to slide into hell. That was the day that the Great Awakening started in America and went on over into England. Started with a sermon that was preached until they got it. Today we're going to talk about these two guys up here in the the glass. John the Baptist and Jesus the Christ. And they were two guys that preached the very same sermon. In fact, they're still having us preach it. Because some people still haven't got it. So Matthew 11, we're going to divide it into three scenes. You have a little uh, playbook here, a little schedule that you can kind of follow along and see where we're going. The first scene, of course, is verse 1. Matthew 11, when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Remember the last two weeks, Pastor Ty has taught us what he instructed those people out of chapter 10. And we all have good notes on that. Now Jesus sees his disciples off. He doesn't go and kick his heels up and rest. He goes out and preaches. What does he preach? Well, in Matthew chapter 4 verse 17, we are told that when Jesus preached, he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's exactly what the other guy preached in chapter 3 of Matthew, verse 2. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I suggested maybe if you want to see some other thoughts, repent, you don't know how long you have, Repent, God is ready to move into your life. Repent, I'm building my kingdom. Come be a part of it. Repentance seems to be a big deal. In fact, Mark in chapter 6, verse 12, says that when those disciples went out to preach, they preached repentance. And when Peter stood up at Pentecost in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2 and preached to 3,000 people, They said, what should we do? He said, repent. I mean, it's a big deal. We don't talk a lot about it today. I don't know that we're offended by it or afraid of it, but it's the key to living all in. It's the key to having this relationship with Christ that lets Christ guide and direct our lives. It's the key to this thing called abundant life. No wonder the devil doesn't want us to talk about repentance. It's a big word. I had the privilege in the 90s to spend a lot of time in Russia, and the Russian churches were amazing in the 90s, right after the wall came down. You had all the women sitting on this side, all the men on this side. You had people standing up against the walls. You had people in the aisles. A fire marshal would have gone crazy. And during your sermon, at any point during your sermon, there would be some movement in the crowd, and somebody would begin to leave. Now in our world, they're going out that way. That's where people go while you're preaching. They get bored or they get tired or something. They go out that way. These people were wiggling to come down this way. Now that's a little distracting as they work their way through the crowd. But they were coming to either stand in front or to kneel on the sides and repent. That's what they did. They realized that God had spoken to them at that moment in the message, and it was a message from God. You are wrong. You need to ask my forgiveness. They knew the devil would never tell them to do that, so it had to be God. Now, the devil would tell them, oh, yeah, 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 well, do it later. Do it tomorrow. Do it when you're home alone. Do it someplace else. Just don't do it now. And they knew, maybe from experience, I know from experience, That when I give in to that voice, I don't usually do it. Because I forget. I get distracted. I get busy doing something else, and I just, I just don't do it. And then the next time I hear a sermon, I'm going, oh man, not again. Because God just He preaches it till we get it. Now it's a little distracting when you're preaching and people that uh, that's happening, but it's a wonderful thing to see God move in a service. So today we're going to let this be a Russian service. And if God speaks to you, because we're going to talk about repentance. If God speaks to you in this service, you feel free to come and pray and get it settled right then. I'll just keep preaching. Somebody may join you and pray with you. But we invite you to take care of it right then. That's the most important thing for you. Don't worry about what people think. Worry about what God thinks. Now I've put a little acrostic in your bulletin. Kind of remind us of what repentance is. R is realize that we do sin. Some of us have forgotten that we sin. We think we're perfect. And we know we're not when we think about it. We're we're not. We're a long ways from perfect. But we forget that we sin. Ah, yeah, I know I did that, but that that was a little white lie, and it's still a lie. Yeah, I know I shouldn't have said that, but. I know I shouldn't have done that, but. I mean, we we all have that in our lives. I know God told me to do this, but. (laughs) We all have disobedience in our life. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Jesus said. So R stands for realize that we do sin. E stands for express your regret. Don't make excuses. Don't blame it on somebody else. Don't try to explain it to God. He's not interested in our explanations. I'm sorry. Those two words are the words he wants to hear. I messed up. Forgive me. Express your regret. Job said, I despise myself. I repent. Those aren't bad words. You've got to realize that sin separates you from God. So you want to get that cleaned up. Some of you for the very first time when you accept Christ as your Savior. But for others it's a daily thing of just seeing what the devil just seeks in with the most subtle things. Everybody else is doing it. You can do it. And God says, no, you can't. Express your regret. P is practice confessing. Not only to God, but to people. Some people you have to say, I'm I'm sorry I said that about you. I'm sorry we were in the middle of this discussion and I said something I shouldn't have said. Forgive me. I'm sorry I treated you that way. Maybe your spouse needs to hear I'm sorry once in a while. And then the next E is exchange. Whatever is causing you to do what God doesn't want you to do, get rid of it. Exchange it for something else. So if you have a friend that you always gossip with and talk negative about other people, then exchange that friend for a friend who maybe talks positive about other people. If you're looking at a computer at stuff you shouldn't be looking at because you, you managed to have a place where you can do that, exchange that place. Get that computer out in public. Put it on the kitchen cabinet. Get it where other people see what you're looking at. If you're cheating on your taxes because you figured out a way to do that and God says you shouldn't do it, then get, get a tax man to do your taxes. Pay somebody to make sure that you don't offend God. Folks, sin is sin. And every time I give in to sin, the devil goes, aha, look, God, he's doing what I'm telling him to do. I got him. And I don't want to have the devil have that privilege with God in no restraint you see it on the video every Sunday no restraint don't let anything stop you you're not too busy uh, you're not too proud Ooh. you're not too afraid get rid of all those motions if God says you need to repent then you need to repent And the T is for turn. That's what repentance means. It means turning around. I'm supposed to be walking toward Christ, and somehow I've been distracted, and I'm going this way, and I'm following something else. It might just be a little thing, but I'm I'm distracted from commitment, from being all in. The devil never quits working on me, folks. I've been a Christian for years. The devil has never quit working on me. I mean, I would think that after this time he'd give up, but he won't because he wins too often. And I have to keep focusing on where I'm going. I'm following Jesus. And that's what I want to do. Scene number one ends with Jesus saying to us that We need to do what he does. We need to practice what he's practicing. Next week, I'm going to Papua New Guinea. Papua New Guinea is an island, a large island, off the coast of Australia. I've been going there for many years. We put 32 radio stations on the islands there. And I'm going down for a big special celebration. But I was there when Papua New Guinea declared their independence. They wanted to be Christians. This guy is one of the guys who got saved does he look happy? <laughs> and so they, in their depend- independence, they called for repentance from worshiping false gods, and, and they had their, because they wanted to be a Christian nation, and so they, they called all the people to stadiums, and I happened to be there, and to hear people come to stadiums and then be told they need to repent and actually do it, crying out and saying, I've been wrong, God, forgive me, forgive me. There, now that I speak pidgin English, so I could hardly understand them, but I could see what they were doing on their face before God, not afraid of what other people thought. They were concerned what God thought. That's repentance. And that's what Jesus is preaching, and he continues to preach it today. Scene number two is John. We read that in in verse two. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is coming, or shall we look for another? John's over here in prison. The the Orthodox Church calls John the forerunner, the Mormon, or the, uh, the Muslims call John the prophet. We call John the baptizer. Moses and Isaiah and Malachi called John the messenger. John the apostle, the disciple John, called John the baptist. Different guys. The man sent from God. Whoa, that that could be your title too, you know. You've been sent. From God. The angel said of John, he's going to have the spirit and the power of Elijah. John's, John the Baptist is this guy up here is a pretty special guy. He's the guy who looked at Jesus and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He announced who Jesus was. This guy. But he's been hearing stories from his disciples, the guys who follow him and want to be like him. They've been coming to him and they've been talking about, see the word, verse number three. They're talking about the the deeds of Christ. I think probably John's mother told him what my mother told me. Your actions speak louder than your words. Your mother, the same thing, right? It's true. We're all sitting here on a Sunday morning. We all may be Christians. We say we are, but do we act it? Do people know we're Christians? Do we show them that we're Christians? Well, I know you say I'm generous, but show me you're generous. I know you say you care, but show me you care. I know you say you love, but show me you love. Your spouse, your kids may really like to see that love. Deeds are really, really, really important. And we need to practice those deeds. We need to be like a Christian. And some of the sins that we have in our lives, some of the things that we do, the things we say, the actions that we have, kind of blur the lines. And it would be those things that we need to repent of. Now, John is trying to evaluate the deeds. He's in prison, so he only gets hearsay. But he heard what Christ did for that Roman centurion back there earlier in the book of Matthew. You read about it. He healed his servant. His servant was probably an oppressed Jew. So let me get this right. Jesus, you came to set all people free, but you heal the servant so that the oppressor can continue to oppress I don't understand that. He had a question. He didn't understand it. I really like the idea that you went to the other side of the ocean, the other side of the Sea of Galilee, to liberate those two guys up in the cemetery of the demons that were in their lives. But is it true that you let the demons... Who called you the son of God? They know who you are. You let the demons tell you where to send them? <laughs> I, I mean, if I had been God, you would have gone, they would have gone right into a blaze someplace. Just exploded. <laughs> right there on spot. I mean, I'd show them. But you, is it true? And, and, and I know this is a terrible rumor, and, and I, I'm embarrassed to even ask it, but... It, So many people have said it. Is it even thinkable that you asked and invited a tax collector to be one of your disciples? A traitor? A dishonest, corrupt man? See, he had expectations for God. We all have expectations for God. That's why you say, God, where are you? That's why you say, why do good things or good people have bad things happen to them? That's that's when you ask that question. I've often thought about if I were God, how I would do it or if God would let me orchestrate it. I mean, you would all like me, really like me. The minute you said yes to Jesus, your lawn would become perfect. You'd never have a weed. You'd never have to water it. Never have to mow it. It would be perfect turf forever. Your flowers would bloom year round, and whatever your favorite flower was and whatever your favorite color was, that's what it would be. Why not? I'm God. Your kids would never have a cavity. None of your appliances would ever break. Your car would run forever. So that 47 DeSoto out there in the parking lot, anybody that drove by would say, ah, must be a Christian. (laughs) What a great testimony. But God doesn't do it our way, and he didn't do it John's way. And he doesn't do it your way. And so let's not be too quick to criticize John for asking, are you the one to come or is there another? Because we ask the same thing. Every time we say, come on, God, where are you? We're asking that question. Is he really God? In fact, when he speaks to us and says, this has got to go from your life, it's offending me, repent, and we don't do it, we're asking that question. Is God really God? Is he the final authority? We're asking that question every time. This is my friend Paulus. Someday he'll be here at the church. He's in Indonesia. When he was 16, he grew up, of course, in a Muslim home. Muslim, his dad was a leader in the, in the, in the mosque, and he grew up there, and when he was 16... He met a strange kid. He did not know a single Christian, but he met this strange kid who just seemed happy all the time, joyful all the time. He was kind, helpful, share lunch, whatever. And Paulus finally thought, I wonder if this is what a Christian is. So he said, are you a Christian? The kid said, no, I'm not a Christian, but I am a follower of Jesus. Well, Paulus knew who Jesus was because Muslims know who Jesus is. These just don't think that he's the son of God. And as Paul has hung out with this kid and watched him live his life, he started doing what the kid did. And pretty soon he found out he could do it, but there were things missing, and the kid then finally said, well, you've got to invite Jesus to come into your heart and live inside you so that he can do the good stuff out through you. And this guy, 16 years old, did that. Parents didn't like that very much. He's had many attempts on his life since then. But he went to Bible school. Pretty soon he was running the Bible school. Pretty soon he was starting Bible schools. And then he found kids on the street that were orphans, and he put in 14 children's homes throughout Indonesia, teaching them the Bible, and they're growing up to be pastors. And then we helped him. That's how I got connected with him. 55 radio stations in the biggest Muslim country in the world. God has favored this guy, and given him permission to do things nobody else can do. Through those 55 radio stations, he has planted 1,500 churches in Indonesia, largest Muslim country in the world. Why? Because one guy was concerned about his deeds, paid attention, and lived what he said he was, practiced what he preached. What about you? What about me? What's the result of us being Christians? Scene number three, these disciples now have been with John. They come back, they ask Jesus the question, are you the one or are we to look for somebody else? And Jesus answers them in in verse number four. Jesus answered them and said, go and tell John what you hear and see. And The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. I mean, he goes down the list, but he starts with four words that explain his strategy for building his kingdom. This kingdom of heaven that he's building, that's coming near, he is building it around us. We are a part of it. And he invites us to go And tell people what we've seen and heard those four words so you come to church on Sunday you hear a message who do you share that message with or do you just have a Bible full of notes who do you tell what you've seen and heard and you have to go to do it they're not going to come to you I have yet to have somebody come and say to me what must I do to be saved I have to go to where they are, and invariably they say, hey, how can I get what you have? How about you? When was the last time you shared what you know about Jesus with anyone? That's how the kingdom is built. And that's how Jesus is going to do it. Now, when the disciples went back to be with John... There was a crowd there. There There's always a crowd around Jesus, but this is an interesting crowd because obviously this crowd knew about John. They had had some experience with John because they had expectations about John. Jesus knew that. So he turns to this crowd and he says, And you, you guys went down to the wilderness to hear John preach. You went down there to watch him baptize people. Why did you go down to the wilderness? You had expectations. Did you go down to the wilderness to see a reed blowing in the wind, just a a little flitter of something? No, you heard there was something powerful down there and you wanted to see it. You wouldn't have walked 20 miles down that road only to turn around and go 20 miles back up the road. So I know you went down for more than just a reed blowing in the wind. And did you go down there to see somebody in soft clothing? You don't care about clothing. You're not going to go someplace to see how somebody's dressed. You're not going to walk 20 miles to see how they're dressed. You're not going to do that. I'll tell you why you went down there. Because you had a hunch that there was a prophet down there. You haven't had a prophet in your country for 400 years. Your daddy hasn't seen a prophet. Your granddaddy hasn't seen a prophet. You've heard about prophets. You thought there might be a prophet. Yes, yes. And I tell you, he was more than a prophet. Then let's read what he says about him. Let me tell you what's written about him. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, verse 13, or verse 11, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. So you went down to the wilderness to hear this guy preach. You went all the way down there to hear a prophet. You heard him say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let me just ask you a question. Have you done that? He's faced nothing but violence and trouble and problems, just like Elijah. You're more concerned about the messenger. I want you to get the message. Have you done that? That's what God's telling you to do. Have you done it? And then in some amazing way, Jesus talks to the disciples, talks to the crowd around him that I call spectators because they're kind of just watching. There are spectators and participants in the kingdom. These are spectators. And then he turns and looks at us today. Okay, are you still here? Verse 16, and what about your generation? What about you guys, he says? You've heard about repentance all your life. You probably did it once, and that's it. But when you lay your head on your pillow at night, do you ever say, God, how did I do today? And give me a chance to say, you know, you need to clean this up a little bit. You need to do better here. You need to ask forgiveness there. You need to apologize here. Do you ever give me a chance to say, no, no, no. Just getting soiled, dirty, out of touch. John and I were like children in the marketplace, Jesus says. And we called to you to join us. He says it this way. It is like children sitting in the marketplace calling to their playmates, okay? Jesus would say, I played the flute for you. I I was the one that talked about what happens if you do repent. I talked about joy and peace and grace and love and life and freedom I talked about all this good stuff, the abundant life. I talked about the fact that he's preparing a place for you right now. I talked about what you get through repentance, and it's all good. It's all good. And you refuse to dance, to join me. John, he, he did a dirge. He talked about wrath of God. He talked about unquenchable fire. He called them brood of vipers. (laughs) He he was in prison because he actually preached repentance to a king who was living in sin. He talked about the hard stuff. You've all sinned, and and God's not going to bless you with that sin in your life. And it was like a funeral, and you just didn't, didn't join him. In fact, you, you criticized the messengers, said John was a drunk, and you said I was crazy. And you missed the message totally of how to keep a tight connection with God. And that's where we are, folks. Here today, talking about that tight connection with God. Sin will foul that up. And that's why we preach it until we get it. He closes this passage with a proverb. And he says, wisdom is justified by her deeds. Wisdom is justified by her A lot of different translations up there, but that last one, wisdom is justified and vindicated by her deeds in the lives of those who respond to me. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you that you keep telling us what we need to do. You haven't given up on us. And in fact, you're here to meet us today. And if somebody yet wants to repent, they can do that and come and, and take care of those things before they leave today. In fact, Lord, that's the most important thing on your agenda, is that we leave here clean before you. So thank you for keep, for keep telling, for keeping telling us what we need to do. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that prods us and talks to us about life and what's right and what's wrong. Thank you that we have a holy God who invites us to fellowship with him. But it starts with repentance. We thank you for all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.